So Mike, which program do Jedi use to open their PDF files? I don't know what. Adobe Juan Kenobi. Oh, God. <laughs> In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Mike and I talk about Blue Tick, where he's at, and maybe where he's headed. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 448. Welcome to Startups of the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you've built your first one or you're just thinking about it, I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we made. So we're this week, sir. Well, I, uh, I strained my back somehow about a week or so ago. So sleeping uh, the past five or six days has been rather rough. Like I've got, uh, it's on the left side. It's my, when I try to sleep like it just gets really really tight throughout the course of the night and it wakes me up so uh it's been rough getting any kind of measurably good sleep for pretty much the entire week <laughs> that's a bummer how'd you strain it i have no idea i like i think i just was alive and that was it <laughs> just i was just old uh, yes and <laughs> i moved that's a good Come way to on. put it I, I, no on, I, I i the thing is I, I just woke up and it was like that and it's, it got progressively worse over the course of two or three days or something like that and then you know it's been it was bad for about four or five and then it's slowly gotten better over the last two or three so well Strain backs are no good, and no sleep is no good. You're going back to your pre-CPAP machine days, aren't you? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's we'll get into some some of that more in this episode. We're going to talk about, as I said in the intro, you know what's going on with Blue Tick and you and such. Before that, we have some good comments on recent episodes. Uh, in episode 444, you and I went off on uh, Gmail desktop clients, and Carl wrote in, or he posted the comment saying, I switched everyone over to Mailbird last month, um, everyone at his company. We switched away from Office 365, Dropbox, and GoDaddy's email service and switched to G Suite Solutions. I needed to find an alternative to Outlook, and I found Mailbird. Works great. Love the Google integrations. My only complaint, well, my coworkers' complaint, is that capability of right-clicking to create new folders does not exist. Not a deal-breaker, just a complaint. Yeah, I actually had, what was the one I was using? I don't even remember now. It was Mailplane, Mailplane, like an airplane. And when I right-click, I often do right-click paste as text or paste and match style or whatever, because I'll be copying something that's all weirdly formatted and I want it to go in the text copy, you know, the format of the email and in mail plane that's disabled. So not a deal breaker, but I have to flip over into Adam you know, or any text editor. I paste it in there, then I <laughs> command A, command C, and then go back and paste it in. So it's this extra step that when you're in a Chrome browser, you can right click paste and match style and it'll just go in. How about you? Are you still using the client, the desktop Windows client you were using? Yeah, I use it on occasion. I've kind of flip-flopped back and forth between them, but because it's a IMAP client and it's got all that stuff, it's, it's quite, kind of nice to be able to use one or the other when I need, need it. The one thing I did find with it was that I use the labels feature and I will take things and put them in, you know, I, I refer to them more as folders than anything else, but in Gmail, it uses labels for that. And the one thing I find is that if I go to use the shortcuts to move it into a folder or, or apply a label to it. Some of my labels, depending on the folder, they overlap. So for example, I'll have like a, a customer's label, but there's a customer's label underneath like a couple different products. And when I start typing it out, it doesn't show me which customer's label it is because it basically drops everything before like the slash. So I have no idea which customer's label it actually is because it just doesn't show me. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still use it on occasion, but once I get into those use cases and it, beca it becomes a, a barrier for me, it kind of makes it more difficult. And I don't know why they don't show the whole thing, but whatever. Yeah, it's weird. And it when we bring these things up, it's like, oh, that's kind of a nitpick, right? Right click, paste and match style. Is that really that big of a deal? Is the labeling? But it can be, you know, it can become that. Now for me, it's not that big of a deal, but label stuff, I think is that, that gets in your the way of your workflow and yeah, it can get in the way of the perfect solution, you know, unless you get used to the new uh, kind of the new way they do it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just been, like I said, I, I flip flop back and forth between them a little bit. And I did notice when I was using it that I could shut it down and I would just have Gmail closed. But I've noticed that recently I've been having Gmail open again. So with that note, I'm actually just going to close that tab entirely right this second. <laughs> yeah. Because I forget yeah. to do that. And if it's, you know, email can be distracting and disruptive. And that's, that's a problem that I've kind of uncovered with my workflow is that when that is open, I tend to get pulled back into my email quite a bit. And when that happens, I just, I'm not as productive. Yep, for sure. And then another comment on episode 447, Paul Mendoza was commenting on the Google verification stuff that you're, you've been struggling with for several weeks. He says, I've been dealing with Google verification stuff for months. You can see my day-by-day interactions with Google here. We just got a response from the security vendors, but our app still isn't approved, but I'm sending them emails almost every day. And he has a URL. You can come to 447 if you want to check it out. (laughs) Google OAuth verification status. So he uh, feels your pain, apparently. It's not just something that you have manufactured in order to create drama and good radio on the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> as you've been yeah. known to do you haven't been known to do but sure sure yeah <laughs> and then we got another couple comments basically saying because 447 we started diving in we, we typically do our chit chat at the top end of the of the uh, episode and when we talked about the google stuff I, we wound up spend, spending like 18 minutes just talking about that because i was asking questions and going through it and we got some compliments on like do more of that, you know, like you guys aren't, you guys aren't digging into, you know, to blue tick enough was kind of of the comments or your own projects enough. And so I think with that, I mean, part of the impetus for today's episode was comments we've received, but it's also, I think it's, it's been something that's been on our minds for a while. We have always liked doing updates and sharing what we're up to and what we're working on, but it can be hard when it's not good news. You know, and it's hard to show up week after week and try to have an update of what you did in the past week if you didn't get anything done or if things are going backwards. So I think we've tended to do update episodes every few months. And I feel like this one today is really just a conversation about where you are, where Blue Tick is, and how you're thinking about things and try to find out more about what's going on and even to, to give advice, right? I mean, we talked for a while before this episode started and you were bringing up things and I was kind of telling you how I would approach them, you know, and we haven't necessarily always been a big advice for each other podcast. You know, it's, it's a lot more answering listener questions, but I, I think that can be helpful today too, for you to hear kind of how I, w- I would think of approaching different problems or how I, how I have approached them in the past, right? Because I've done, done some of this stuff as well. Sure. So do you, do you want to relabel this as a Mike's therapy session? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 50 minutes and I'm going to bill you 170 minutes. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, well, that's actually cheaper, <laughs> cheaper than you thought it would be oh, cheaper yeah. than a regular therapy session would be <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, man, I mean, blue tick today, you've been working on it for two or three years mm-hmm. and it's still not supporting you full time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I, um, I went back and I started looking at my funnel metrics and stuff uh, where I started tracking some of that stuff. So I've got data in here from November of 2017, and that's when I started tracking the numbers that I have here. So that's, I, I think that was shortly before I kind of flipped the switch and said, look, I'm just going to start billing people. And if you're not ready, then you can either cancel or that's kind of the end of the free trial or whatever that we have for you. But obviously my memory is kind of fuzzy exactly what what state those things were at at the time. So I don't remember whether it was November of that year or what have you. But I mean, the reality is that... Was that November 2017? Yes, November 2017. Okay. Yep. I mean, but the reality is like it's not nearly where I would think that it should be if things were going well and the product, the product had product market fit and I was, you know, actively growing it. It's just not, I mean, it's not enough to support me full time and I don't necessarily need it to, but at the same time, if it's going for an extended period of time and it's not making enough money to do that, then why continue? You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a, it's a waste of time and effort opportunity cost. Could you be working on something else that A, would be dramatically more lucrative, whether that something else is a different product or whether that something else is consulting, you know, or heaven forbid a salary job. I mean, I don't, not that you're going to go do that, but you could, you have skills, you know, you're, you're a developer, you can write code, like that's a, a very valuable skill. And so to be kind of 
wasting or, or and I, I don't mean wasting time on a day-to-day basis, but having 18 months you've been charging for it and to be only ramen profitable, you know, and not full-time income is a struggle. And it's, it's not just that you don't have full-time income, but it's not headed in the right direction anymore, right? You basically peaked at some point last year in terms of MRR. Yeah. And if, I mean, it's more floundering than anything else. It, it's not a tailspin and I'm not like bleeding out customers every single week or anything like that. And it's not, you know, tanking quickly, but it's certainly not growing quickly either. It's it's really just meandering and, you know, it'll go up on some months and it'll go down on some months. And I have some customers who've been around since the very beginning. And then there's, you know, customers who will stick around for three to six months and then that's it. But I also haven't, I don't feel like I've dove into the numbers of how long people have stuck around for and what the amount of revenue that I've gotten from each customer is enough. I just haven't. And it's because I've spent a lot of my time on other things. And I I feel like I have a hard time prioritizing where I should spend some of that time. I mean, objectively, I think it's like, oh, well, you should spend all of that time on on marketing activities and analyzing what your current customers are doing and who you should be targeting as those customers. But one thing I struggle with is the fact that Blue Tick is very has a very good use case for cold email and I don't want those customers. And that's I have a hard time justifying adding a lot more customers on there they, that are doing that are using the tool for that. Yeah, is it an ethical thing? You just don't like cold email? It's yeah, mostly or a I moral think. thing. Wait, ethical is is external and moral is internal, right? Your your internal code is like, eh, not a fan of it. Is that the idea? You know, the problem is that it depends on the customer. So, like, there's some customers that I'll talk to, and or you know, like I'll I'll do a demo for somebody, and I hear what they're doing, and they're doing cold email, and I'm like, hey, this is a great. It's not just a great tool that you have, but it's also a great service and you're doing great things with it and you are trying to make the world a better place versus some of the people doing the cold email, like they're really bad at it and they're doing things that are shady or scammy. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want those as customers. But at the same time, like the tool works exactly the same for both of them. So how do I filter one out versus the other without like having a conversation with every single one of them? And how do you do that in the marketing that you put out such that you are catering specifically to a type of person who has a certain mindset? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, dude, there are ways around it. I mean, you could, you have options. You could on your homepage, just be like the best tool for warm email interactions. And then you could put in on your pricing page, like this is not, you know, in the FAQ, this is not for cold email. You can put it in your terms of service. This is not for cold email. You can have flags. If people go in and, and it, you see patterns of, of people doing cold email type things that you flag and you say, Hey, this isn't for cold email. I mean, we had to do this with drip, right? People can't use drip for cold email and we had to build things and communicate that along the way. And it was a, it was a pain. It was a lot of work. And some people got really pissed off. Some people came in, signed up, uploaded their cold list and started emailing. And then our system would automatically block them or they'd get enough complaints that our email spam dude would, would block them. And that's what you have to do if, if you really don't want to do it. The struggle is with Drip, it's actually, it'll get you blacklisted. So it was a big problem for the business itself. With BlueTick, it's not, right? Because they're using their own inbox. So you have to then decide, right? You're not going to get BlueTick itself. It's, your IP doesn't get blasted. So you have to decide, hey, if ethically or morally or whatever, I only want to serve a certain type of customer, then you can do that. Just make it clear up front. It sounds to me like, is that, is it an excuse? Like if you accepted all the cold email people, would blue tick be where you want it to be? Or if you just focused on the warm email use case and ignored the cold email, would blue tick be where you want it to be? Well, I feel like it's a, I, that's a, I don't want to say it's an unfair question. It's um the, the, I think the question is a little bit off because it's more a matter of holding me back from doing the marketing, which would acquire those types of customers. Got it. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So it's like, it, it's not about accepting them as customers or trying to turn them away or whatever. It's more about holding me back from doing the marketing. And I, I think you have a, it's a very valid question about, is that an excuse? Like I have a, a whole load of things I've looked at and thought about and that comes to mind is for virtually every single one of them is like, is that just an excuse? Like, is there, I mean, if you look back at 
you know, stuff I did with Audit Shark and then with Blue Tick, like there were, I'll quite frankly, like a lot of excuses along the way with, with Audit Shark. And if you think about objectively the stuff I'm going through with Google right now, there's a huge question mark of this fifteen dollars to $75,000 for a security audit and I'm, I'm currently at the end point with Google where all I need to do is get this security audit and get a letter of, I forget what it is, authentication or something, this audit letter that I have to send into Google that says, yes, blue tick is all up to snuff and we don't have to worry about too much about security vulnerabilities for the product. But at the same time, is that another excuse? And if the product were much further along or had more customers and was making a substantial amount of revenue, would fifteen to seventy-five thousand dollars matter? And the answer is no, it wouldn't. Because, but the problem is, you know, I can't sit there and say, point at Google and say, well, they're killing my business. When the reality is, the business isn't making enough money, and really, that's just a driver that says, like, here's a, a hard line that, uh, that you can't cross unless you unless the business is making enough. But if the business were making enough, that wouldn't matter. Like that, the actual amount of whatever that is going to come out to would make no difference whatsoever. So is that an excuse? And I, I would say in a way it kind of is, but at the same time, like I, I could almost point at anything that I've come across and say, is this an excuse? Is this an excuse? Like anything that comes up in the business as to why something's not working I could, you could ask that question. And I think it's a valid question to ask. And I don't have a good answer for some of those things. Like I just, I just don't. Yeah. And that's the thing is like the cold email versus warm email thing. You don't want to market it because people are using it for cold email. There's, there are solutions to that. And I don't know that we should, uh, in the interest of time, we probably shouldn't talk through those now because I would think, well, maybe we should. Like if I were in your shoes, I would decide, am I willing to let people do ethical cold email and warm email? And if the answer is yes, then I, that would be on the website. That would be in my onboarding. I would try to, I would mention that in every demo. I would probably do demo only for now in your shoes because you don't have such an influx of, of trials. I'm guessing that you can't do some type of, of demo with everyone at a minimum, a screencast, 15 minute screencast that talks about, look, we only do ethical cold email. I mean, just make that part of the whole deal. If that's your hard line, then take the hard line and then move forward, right? That's one option. Second option is to not take the hard line and just say, hey, this is legal and, and it's not going to hurt my IPs, so I'm okay with people doing that. That's the second option. Third option is probably to sh shut the product down, you know, is to realize, boy, I really built a product that people are going to misuse and the nuclear option would be to shut it down. Now, that's tough, but those, I believe, I mean, I don't know that I can come up with an easy fourth option. I, I feel like the ethical ethical cold and warm is a perfectly viable non-nuclear option. And again, to just m communicate that in, in every onboarding sequence. And some people will sneak through, unfortunately. The good news is it won't get you on blacklist like it did with Drip, where we get on a blacklist and it's like this oh shit moment where a bunch of us are running around trying to figure out how to ban this customer and this and that. You'll just have to have a conversation with that customer and say, look, like by our judgment or by my judgment, you've gone over the line. I need you to migrate away or I need you to improve your, your things. And then you can get in a conversation with them where they say, how do I improve my cold email? And you say, well, here's a good example of a super ethical one, right? You only hit them four times over the course of a month, not 17 like you're doing and, and blah, blah, blah. All of this is work, right? And that, it, it all takes work. And that's the, that's the crappy part. But it's the same thing with, I don't know, it's the same thing with the Google approval. I think that it totally gets in your head, it seems like, and it becomes this roadblock where really it should be a speed bump that, you know, you kind of look at your options. I, I say should. You're going you're gonna to encounter these over and over. And I feel like if you look at them as speed bumps rather than roadblocks, knowing that there's pre almost without exception, there's always a way around it. There are a few exceptions that are not, right? You can get sued into oblivion. You can... I don't know. You can get seriously injured. And, and, you know, and there are these extreme things where you can't work or where your business is completely decimated because the whole platform just blocks your IP. There are certain exceptions, but I, I don't see that. Aside from Google, you know, disapproving you here in the next week or two, everything else you've mentioned to me is a speed bump, but I feel like it impacts you more than that. No, and that's absolutely true. Like, I mean, as you were talking through that and shifting the marketing to saying much more of it's like it's ethical cold email and warm email, like I actually kind of got excited. It's like that's a, that's exactly it. Like, and I think that there are 
there's other ways to kind of force that as well. So I was talking to Josh from uh, Referral Rock, and he had said that one of the things that they had done early on was that they charged a setup fee, and that worked really well for them. And I was thinking about doing that as well and trying to figure out how can that kind of work in there. And that fits in really well with the idea of pitching it more towards the ethical cold email and warm email for people and then forcing people to do a demo. And that's kind of what part of what the setup fee would be and making sure that they're doing things the right way, that they're not just spamming a ton of people just because they have the technical capabilities to. Honestly, like that would make me feel a whole heck of a lot better about it. And I was actually trying to figure out like, well, how can I how can I justify this setup fee and how can I do that kind of stuff? And I, I think that that falls re- directly in line with that. It makes total sense as to how that can happen now. Whereas before I kind of struggled with a little bit with like, how do I present it or pitch it or make sure that people are doing the right things and everything is going well for them. And that's, I'll say it's like software kind of augmented by services to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, that's one issue, but it's not as if we can now, you know, all right, we're all, and that's the whole session, Mike, you're all good. Because there, there are some, some deeper issues going on, right? It seems to me like the two biggest issues that I see with Blue Tick and what you've been up to, number one, I don't understand, and I don't understand how Blue Tick is any different than any of the other tools. Like, I don't think you're differentiated. And you can, you can convince me otherwise, but I, I don't feel like there's anything Blue Tick can do that three or four other tools can't, can't do. And that's a problem because you're just not, you're picking up crumbs at that point, right? And the second thing that feeds into that is you have struggled to ship things. You know, you've struggled to, whether it's health issues, the distraction from the Google approval. I know you've had sleep issues for a long time. I think you're, you know, you talked last podcast about how you had a five or six hour work day and like two hours of it was with calls and then your your kids were going to get home and you spent an hour on the Google thing. And then, you know, you, your work day was just poof, gone that you're not, you're not shipping new features. You're not shipping marketing. When you look at the people who, you know, are, are making progress in these early stages, they're shipping something every week. You know, you look at what Derek Reimer, even though he shut level down, he was shipping features. He was shipping emails. He was shipping blog posts. You look at uh, Peter Sum, who is the the founder of Branch, which is a, a tiny seed company. It was just announced today. He's doing the same thing. He releases a blog post almost every week, and he ships new features to Branch almost every week. And and you've struggled with that going way back. And I think that's where we talked a little bit offline before this about you have reasons, but you were saying yourself like, are they reasons or are they excuses? the health issues, the, the, there's testosterone levels a few years back, there's the CPAP, there's all that stuff. And it, it impacts your motivation. And that means that Blue Tick has never, you haven't shipped enough stuff fast enough to differentiate Blue Tick and everyone else that you're competing against is moving, I would say, faster than you. And so you, ne- you never catch up, right? So now you're competing against tools that are genuinely, again, my impression is they are better tools. They just have more features and they do more. So how can you possibly grow an app that isn't differentiated in any way? Yeah. And and a lot of them have definitely caught up in terms of the features or they even started out, some of them even started out further along than I was. At the early stages, like my differentiating feature was intended to be the fact that like BlueTick does not miss emails. Whereas I know that people who were using uh, like the Gmail API or like they, those types of customers tended to miss emails here and there. And I feel like a lot of those problems have tended to go away. And I don't know whether that's because the Gmail API has just gotten better in terms of what data that they've been sending or the frequency, but I don't hear about those problems nearly as much as I used to. So it maybe the, maybe the tools have just gotten better and they've fixed those problems. I, I don't really know the answer to that because I don't, I don't use those tools on a regular basis, but the fact is you're right. Like I am not shipping things nearly as much as I could or should be. And there's certain things where I've been, I've gone through and I've like, you know, re-engineered something or changed how something works. And I've got all this data that is going through the system and I'm, I'm kind of terrified in some cases of breaking stuff. And I've been going back and forth recently with one of the, the, the vendor about, who kind of supplies the component that I use for synchronizing with IMAP. And they're like, they won't give me access to the stuff where I know for a fact it breaks and I can't test it. Like I can't put an automated test in place and they won't give me a way to do it. And I'm just like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. 
I mean, other than switching to some other component, which again is like that's non-trivial work. So, yeah, I that sounds like, but I don't. But is that an I don't excuse? Think that should keep you from getting the ten grand is that a an month. Excuse? Yeah, it's a it's a problem, but you're going to encounter a problem almost every day as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And if they become, they should be speed bumps, you know? And so you could mock up an interface of some kind. I mean, this is, again, we had a bunch of APIs that we interfaced with the drip and you couldn't hit the production or a staging API. So when our unit tests ran, they would hit a mocked up interface. I forget. There's a better word for it, but you know what I'm talking about. You just, you, you fake the API and yes, you could, you could feasibly break things, but that's what integration testing is for. And then you just have a checklist of like, these are the five things that I'm always worried about breaking because I can't test them well. And those are in a Google Doc or a Trello board or whatever. And every time you do a big push or every time you modify that code, you test those things. That's how I would, that's how I would think about it. Again, to make it, it's not perfect, but it's, it makes it into a, uh, what was I saying? A speed bump. It makes it into a, a bump in the road rather than, you know, an actual roadblock. Sure. And, and the, the, a specific issue with that piece of it or, you know, in the, in the problem that I have with that, like there's certain things that come up on occasion and I, I literally can't do that because they've marked that the class that I need to use as internal and sealed and there's no interface for it. So I literally cannot do it. Like I've tried, the only way that I found to get around it is to create a constructor that uses like the internal private constructor for it and basically fake the data. But I'm looking at, obfuscated code at that point. And I don't know what the hell half of it does. So again, like I think all that, that partic this particular example is kind of immaterial. I agree. It should be more of a speed bump than like a roadblock. And I feel like that's going down the, the rest of that particular specific example is more of a, a going down the rabbit hole and more than anything else. Cause it's not the only thing. No. And that's the thing is when you, when these things come up, it's not going to be perfect, right? It's, and I know that sounds so silly to say, but you're an engineer, you're left brain, and you want every I to be dotted, every T to be crossed, every edge and corner case to be handled. And Mike, your software is going to break sometimes. There is software that is doing seven, eight, nine figures a month, and the stuff breaks. You can build a company with software that isn't 100, 100%. My guess is your software is going to be pretty dang good because you're a developer and because you've been doing this most of your life but at a certain point you have to you can't let perfect get in the way of of good and of in the way of shipping and i do yeah like i yeah. i absolutely let that get in the way and it's hard for me to i don't know step back and i don't know why it's i don't know why it's so hard for me to just let it go because like there's some things where i can just say oh we'll just do this and yeah it's messy but go ahead and then there's other things where i'm like no it has to be right and for whatever reason like i i fixate on those things that's the problem, right, is if you can't identify when you're fixating and then tell yourself, stop and approach this from a different mindset, what would XYZ person do? You know, what would, how should I think about this differently is probably a better question that when you find yourself fixating to stop yourself and have the kind of introspection to say, what is the hack together solution, you know, or what is the next, what is the 95% solution? to this? What are the three or four options I have? You know, I mean, we've, we've talked about a few topics here and in each one you see, I'm just breaking them down into what are your choices here? Your choices with this integration or what is it, the API or whatever, or it's the component that you don't have internal access to, you know, and it's sealed and whatever. So Mike, here are your options. You can completely shut your entire company down because I mean, honestly, let's look at them. You know, you could shut the company down because of that. You could build a solution that is 80-20 or 95-5, however you want to phrase it. That's kind of like the one I said earlier, which is, man, it's hacked together. It's not going to catch everything. And you have a checklist and that's probably good enough for now. Or you can spend a lot of time fixating on it. You can fight with the guy over email. You can try to reverse engineer it. You can, you know, you can really keep... I could replace the component. <laughs> you could rebuild the whole... Comp no, that's a great... Yeah, I mean, you could you could feasibly do that. You could rewrite the whole thing yourself. Spend a no, week, No, no, I wouldn't do that. Two like, weeks. I would find a different vendor where... Oh, okay. ...where I can rip that out and replace it with something else. That's what I would do. I would not... I would absolutely not go down that road. But that is that is an option, though. What's funny is you could replace it with a different one, so you're going to spend time reworking your code, or you could just rewrite the whole component yourself. It's ridiculous, but it is an option, you know? So those are our five or six options. And when you look at them, some of them seem like the dumbest thing ever, like shutting your business down or writing the component yourself. 
don't do those. You know, I mean, it's obvious those are dumb. But the other three, if we look at them kind of black and white mindset and try to think about it, it's like, which of those gets you to, to, to full-time income? Which of those gets you to 10K? You know, with, with a, yeah, there's a little bit of risk. There's a little bit of risk with the one I'm suggesting, you know, but that's, it turns it into a speed bump rather than a roadblock. Yeah. One of the challenges I run into with this is that I don't like, I don't really have a mastermind group anymore where like I can bounce ideas off of people and they call me out on a weekly basis that says, Hey, you're not working on this. Or you said that you were going to have this done, or you, you've been working on this for three weeks. Like this should have been done a long time ago. And I don't have that external forcing function anymore. And I think that's been a big challenge for me. Yeah. You've talked about in the past, you've told me that you feel like you're more ex- extrinsically motivated, that having someone who's keeping you accountable is is the way you work best mm-hmm. versus being intrinsically motivated. And that's fine. Like there are successful entrepreneurs on both sides of that. So this is not something that that precludes you from being one. But if you've lost that, because you, you lost your mastermind or it, it broke up how long ago? A little over a year. And then I started a new one, but we've only met like I think three times total in a year. Yeah. That's not gonna, well, it was over the course of like three months or so. And then we haven't, we haven't had a call in like five or six months, I think. Right. So you're for all intents, you're not really part of a mastermind at this point. And you ended a year ago. Now, didn't your revenue peak around that time? Yeah, it did. So (laughs) (laughs) I I know a correlation. No. And again, causation, causation, like, like, yeah, no, I, it's, and that's a valid point too, but it's also hard to, I don't know. I, that's an excuse. Like that's. Don't say it. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to say it's hard to find a mastermind, right? And it's hard to be part of one. And so I would say, all right, Mike, you have choices. Sure. <laughs> Shut your company down. Number one, number two, you know, don't be an entrepreneur anymore. It is a choice. Number three, call, you know, email Ken at mastermind jam, mastermindjam.com and try to have them hook, hook you up with a, a mastermind or four, keep doing, keep doing what you're doing. Don't do a mastermind and expect your future results to be the same as they have been, you know, is, is probably what I would say. Right. So. Yeah. And, and some of these things, like the other thing that it could potentially be solved by is having a co-founder. And like, I've, I, I've talked to you about this before. It's like, I'm not opposed to having a co-founder or having somebody else who works in the business with me. But at the same time, it's, you know, it's a question of, finding the right person and all that other stuff. But again, like, is that an excuse? And is that what I really want? And the answer is, I don't know. Like, is an excuse probably, is it, is it what I really want? I don't know. You know, it's, yeah, I've gone down that road before and I, I I think things worked out fantastically with you, with microconf and the podcast and everything else, but I don't, (laughs) my my past experiences have not been all sunshine and rainbows, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Totally. Yeah. That's a tougher one because finding a co-founder is hard and finding the right, you can't rush that. That's not an easy thing to do. I do think it could be a fit for you, you know, given that you would work better with someone kind of pushing you on and you feeling accountable to that. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. But again, I hate, I hate saying again, this and that, but most of the people that I know of that I know well enough to say, yeah, I would, I wouldn't mind going into business with them at all. Most of them have their own things going on. So it's hard to find somebody who is kind of in that same position because I've got blue tick that is a substantially far along at this point. And one thing that I've run into when you have like employees or contractors or whatever is I feel like they're way less, not just motivated, but they're, they're way less critical of you know, the boss's performance or, you know, decisions and things like that. Cause they're like, oh, well, that person is the person in charge. So I don't want to challenge them as hard as I probably could or would if I truly believed in this other direction versus the one that they've chosen or decided to go in. Yeah. But that's, that's just a minor road bump. I mean, or, or speed bump. I mean, I, yeah, I've worked with contractors and employees and I've had co-founders and not, and it's just something you get over. I think the deeper issue is comes back to the two things that I said, Number one, blue tick is not differentiated. And number two, it's because you're not shipping enough. And something that you've mentioned to me is is a real, well, it sounds like you struggle with indecision quite a bit where you, you ruminate on a, on a question for a long time, for days or weeks, and sometimes just can't 
break out of that, to make the decision to move forward. And so you get stalled. And then the motivation thing, like you told me offline that you were kind of bored or what you weren't motivated. Like at times, you know what you should do. I should go build this feature, but you're not motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. is that right? I mean, talk, talk about that. Do you think that's, is it a health thing or do you, I guess you don't know if you knew you would fix it, right? You don't know if you don't know if it's lack of sleep. You don't know if it's low, you know, testosterone. You don't know if you just don't want to do the idea. I mean, do you have, you have any thoughts or even more background for people? Sure. I mean, like right now I'm in the middle of going through like my doctor take it, took me off of my testosterone and it wasn't because it was too high. It was because one of my other blood tests came back as too high. So it's just like, yeah, this is way outside of the normal range. So I'm going to take the, you off of the testosterone for four weeks to see how that plays out. And I'm like a week and a half. I was about a week and a half into it. And I was like, I have to like take some of it right now because like I like the downsides or drawbacks of, of, having it, having low testosterone is that like you get depressed, you have a hard time focusing, you can't get things done, you can't really think straight. And that was happening. And like to such a severe degree, I was like, I have to take it today just to kind of put myself at least a little bit back on track. So, I mean, I'm going to call him and try and see if like we can kind of cut this whole thing short because it is extremely detrimental to me right now, but I, I don't have answers. Like I wish I did. i there's there's a lot of things where I'm just like, ah, eh, this is kind of boring to me, and some of it some of it has to do with like the work that needs to get done. But again, like, is that an excuse? Is it just a a reason that I'm using to justify not feeling bad about getting the work done? And I I get that like as an entrepreneur, not everything's always going to be fun. You're not always going to enjoy everything, and there's some things that you like to do versus there's things that you need to do. And if you can outsource those things that need to be done and you don't like doing, great. But I'm not always, I I don't feel like I've been in a position where I can outsource everything that I hate doing because there's, there's financial restrictions and things like that. It's just, you'll, you'll never be able to do that. Sure. I mean, even, even when I was, when Hittail and Drip were going, growing like crazy, I still came in and did a bunch of crap that I didn't want to do. Uh, With Tiny Seed, we have... I have more resources than I've ever had and there's still crap that I'm dealing with that I don't want to do. But A, I try to minimize it and B, I try not to let it clog the top of my to-do list, you know, when it's sitting on that Trello board and I'm like, oh my gosh, I do not want to look at healthcare plans and like setting up a 401k for us. But it's like, I'm going to power through it, suck it up and get it done. And then I'm going to come out the other side and reward myself by doing something super fun, like make it some swag or something. I don't know. You know, it's like, that's the thing you can't, you can't avoid that. You can't avoid it entirely. You can minimize it. And we're building businesses that we want to be part of, right? That we want to run. We're building it for our lifestyles and that's great. But that doesn't mean that hundred percent of the time it's like a trip to Disneyland. And I know, I know you know that. I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but it's like, mm-hmm. that's the thing I think you've struggled with a lot is this, is this, there's this indecision piece. And then there's this, you've expressed to me like, I just am not motivated to do this thing, you know, whatever it is. And I know that's what has to get done. And I, I think you got to figure that out because without that, you're, you just can't, you can't move forward. You have to be able, you have to be motivated some days, even through the struggles. I mean, we have a mutual friend who runs a SaaS app who has pretty big, pretty major health issues and his struggles and works four hours a day. And, you know, it's tough for him to travel. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that is, it's just hard. It's hard for him. But he runs a successful SaaS app and lives off it and has, a, you know, a few employees. And he shows up every day. And, he, and, and in those four hours, I bet he's pretty damn effective by the fact that his SaaS app still grows, you know? So I haven't found a system, I guess, that works for me, like in terms of preventing me from wasting time on the stuff that I don't want to do or procrastinating to get those things done. And and I don't want to sit here and say, oh, well, I just need to find the right system because I don't think that that's the right, that's the right way to go either or the answer to it. But I do feel like maybe more structure or maybe I just need to experiment more and say like, okay, try this for a week or try that for a week and be very deliberate about trying to get things done and shipping things, as you said, versus just showing up to work every day and kind of, I'll say a lot of motion without forward progress. You know, it's like, I feel like I'm thrashing a lot and I don't, I don't have an answer to that. And maybe it's, maybe the problem is that I've thought about what 
the answer to that is without actually doing anything to try and figure it out. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Not taking action. I think effectiveness is what you're summarizing. Thrashing is the opposite of being effective, right? And if this founder we're talking about works four hours a day, but gets a full day's work done, he's highly effective. And some people can work 10 hours. And if they're not effective, their business doesn't move forward. I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past, the 80 hour a week startup people, I think they're probably not very effective. You know, that's the reason they work 80 hours. There's some, a few exceptions, but there's a lot of, of younger folks. I used to work longer hours when I was younger too. And it's just not picking the right stuff to work on and then not focusing on that stuff and not wandering off to answer email, jump on Twitter, go to Reddit, like really focusing. And I, you know, I, I think you can get a full day's work done in four to six hours, you know, of what your full day's work would have been 10 years ago. I believe that like with the personal growth and the experience and stuff that a, a person can be more effective with, with less time. But it sounds to me, dude, I mean, there's a couple things that I'll throw out. One is, I feel like you should consider whether you want to keep doing this, you know, to, to continue doing blue tech, whether you want to continue to be an entrepreneur. And because here's the thing, if you were working a contract job or if you were working a salary job, a lot of these issues go away because daily you would do a daily standup or weekly or whatever, and you would have accountability and that external motivation would be there for you to ship stuff. So that would make a lot of this go away. Now that's a, that's a pretty nuclear option. So I'm not going to, in the interest of time, we probably shouldn't go down that today, but I do think it's something for you to take a step back and just think about longer term. So counter argument to that would be that if I worked and did the right things and got blue tick to a point where I was able to hire people to put on a team, that exact same result would come out of it. Yeah. Okay. So, the, and that's fine. That's fine. But you got to get there. You sure. know, you can't, you can't at this, at the rate you're going, you're not, you're not going to get there. Yeah. So, yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with you, Mike. I mean, this is startups for the rest of us. The whole point is that we want to help people start businesses that give them personal freedom. You know, the whole point of this, of this podcast and everything we do is to, to feel free and to, to do what you want to do and work on what you want to do. So that would be my answer as well. It's just, you have to figure out how to get there you know, cause you're not making progress there. Now, the second thing I would think about, which is a less nuclear option, if we're talking about options, it's to go one step further than a mastermind and to find someone who will do a daily standup with you every morning, five minute phone call or five minute slack and that they keep you accountable and that you subscribe to that. And that when they, when you say, these are the things that I did yesterday, this is what I'm going to do today that the next day you come and you do the walk of shame if you didn't get that done and that you celebrate if you did. And that if, you know, extrinsic motivation is something that you think will help to do that. What, but what do you think about that? Is that, does it not matter? Cause you're so tired, you can't get anything done. You know, is the extrinsic motivation enough with, if someone was breathing down your neck, would that be enough? Or do you think, no, I'm still too damn tired. I just have health issues and I shouldn't do this. I would certainly try it. I mean, it's, I would say it's premature for me to say that it would or wouldn't work. I suspect that it would. I mean, I've seriously contemplated trying to find a way to get like a one-on-one -on -one business coach or something like that, who is, you know, somebody who could hold me accountable, but you're right. Like a, a five minute thing like that could on a daily basis could be, you know, plenty. I mean, I, but I don't know, like without trying it, I can't say one for sure one way or the other. My, my inclination is to say, yes, that would work, but it would also need to be somebody who is kind of, I don't want to say willing to yell at me, but because I don't want to be inundated with, you know, thousands of emails saying, Hey, I'll yell at you. <laughs> um, sure. Well, yeah. Cause you don't need yelling. You do need positive and negative encouragement and feedback, you know? Yeah. It's, I, I think that's certainly worth exploring. I, I would say it's probably more, it goes further than my thoughts about having a business coach who holds me accountable on a weekly basis. Cause I think a daily basis would probably be better. And that's mainly because I feel like I could waste a lot of time during a whole week. Whereas from a day to day, I can't like I, I have, I don't want to say the stakes are higher, but the deadlines are shorter. And I've always found myself to be somebody who works extremely well with tight deadlines and time pressure. Yeah. Like external. 
external motivation. Yes. Right? So like when I was when I was doing consulting, the company I did subcontracting through, they've pulled me in on a bunch of stuff. But every single time I got an email from them, like I and I stopped consulting for them, I don't know, probably a year and a half to two years ago. But every single time I get an email from them, it's always because something's on fire and they want me to deal with it. And I actually got to a point where like from one customer to the next, every single one everything was on fire and burning to the ground and they needed somebody to go in and fix it. And I was their person is because I was really good at it. And I just got burnt out with the travel. That's, that was what the problem was. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy doing those things, but I got burnt out with the travel and this, the customers tended to be the same from one to the next. And the problem was repetitive. It got to a point where the problem was the same thing over and over. And then I just kind of got bored. Yeah. And consulting is not, it's, it's a hamster wheel. You want to own something. You want equity in something that has a longer lasting thing than just dollars per hour. Sure. You know, yeah, you have that desire. Right. Yeah, that was a, a big reason for me leaving and deciding to do Blue Tick instead. It's because I wanted something that was going to be much more of that the Rob's flywheel as opposed to the hamster wheel. Yeah. So obviously, you know, we can't solve stuff like this in a day. You know, you and I talked about you taking some time to think about this three weeks, four weeks where you think about both what we've talked about today, some stuff we've talked about on offline, but really do soul searching and figure out. I mean, I think there's big questions here. It's like, Mike, do you want to do this? And do you want to do it bad enough that you're willing to, to change? Cause what you're doing now isn't working. So you have to change it. You know, are you going to be willing and able to, and willing and able it's both. Are you going to be willing and able to start looking at every, problem as a speed bump rather than a roadblock. And, you know, is this the right fit for you, whether it's, and this being entrepreneurship, blue tick, I don't know, I guess it's just those two, you know, and, and does blue tick have the potential, you know, if you feel like you regain your momentum and motivation to take a hard look and say, how long does it, how long will it take to get blue tick to the point where it is differentiated? Because my, my assessment is that until you're differentiated enough that you're like, nope, we do this and no one else does, or we do this better than all these other tools. Until you get to that point, you just don't win many sales. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with all that. I mean, the I don't even have to think too long about like the one aspect of those, like, you know, do I still want to be an entrepreneur? I mean, for me, the answer is absolutely yes. The question for Blue Tick is, well, What's that look like moving forward? And the reality of the situation is that I've got basically a seven-month deadline at this point. I think you you had said that there were some questions about how that shakes out with Google, and like I kind of know the answers to some extent. I still don't have all the information, but like I've gone past the last stage of Google's verification, with the exception of the security audit. Like that's all that needs to be done. But that's the piece where I don't know how much it's going to cost. And I don't know how what they have to go through or what other things I'm going to have to change. So I'm still waiting to find out what that's going to cost. And I have to make a judgment call at the end of it to say, if it's if it's $15,000 and I'm going to make that $15,000 back in a reasonable time frame, not a big deal. Even if it was $75,000 or $100,000, if I were going to be able to make that back within you know three or four months, it's not a big deal. If I'm at a revenue standpoint where it's not going to happen in six months, eight months, 10 months, then no, like I can't justify even continuing with the product at that point. But I don't know what the price tag on it is right now. And it's a, a question of how far can I get in the next six to seven months to the point where I know how much revenue I'm going to be making three, four months down the road to be able to justify putting the cash out for that kind of a security audit. But you understand that while the security audit is one thing we've talked about today, like there's a bigger, there's, there are bigger issues and it's shipping. You know, it's, it's, if you, let's say you pass the security audit and you pay for it, blue tick is still not growing. Blue tick is still not differentiated right now. And so, and the reason again, coming back is that you're, you haven't been motivated or you've been bored with it, or there's been health issues or that, you know, there's been all these things along the way. And if that doesn't change, it doesn't matter what happens with the Google audit. Yep. So, yeah. So we talked about you taking some time to to think about it and actually stepping back from the 
podcast here for about three or four weeks. Give you some clarity. Hopefully. Some time. <laughs> time alone. I know. Give you a chance to maybe find clarity. I mean, these are hard decisions, man. This is this is retreat level kind of stuff where it's a lot of thinking. Yeah. And I mean, these aren't the the weird thing is like these aren't nothing we've really talked about so far are things that I haven't thought about or kind of considered, you know, over the past couple of years. And it's just, I just haven't really taken the time to step back and objectively look at things and take a hard look. Cause I mean, if I do look at stuff and how things have gone, I mean, the one constant that has been throughout the whole thing is it's me. So is it me? And, you know, <laughs> that's a hard thing to say and a hard thing to admit to as well. So the question is, can things change or will they change or do I want them to? I mean, I, I think that I want to. It's just a question of, well, how is that going to happen? And how how do I make sure that I don't go through this process and come out of it and say, yeah, I'm motivated, I'm amped up and let's do this and then put in time and effort for six months and then fall back into the same patterns again, I'll say. And that could happen. I don't I don't know, but I need to I need to step back. That's for sure. You know, Mike, I've always I've always respected your your technical chops and your intelligence and your writing. And you just have a lot of positive qualities, you know, and and you have you've accomplished stuff in your life, but you've definitely gotten in your own way. You've gotten in your own way more than than I think you want to. Or you should know, have. Or, I, that, or should have, yeah. So I think if you can start thinking about it in those terms of how do I not do in the next six months what's happened in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see. So I'm going to be um, holding down the fort here for a few weeks, and it'll be good to hear from you. I'm sure people will be waiting with bated breath. We'll have a, an episode, I don't know if, what it'll be, 452 or 453, where it's the return of my can we get to hear from you and what you've been thinking about and stuff so yep so i don't know we'll, be good. we'll see what happens I'm, I'm i gotta talk to my doctor and go back on the testosterone because it's just my god yeah <laughs> yeah it's kind of wrecking it, you. it really is yeah. it's and it's hard to like you you wouldn't think that that does it it's like oh that can't possibly be that bad i would totally think chemi- any chemical in our body when it gets that out of whack it has these negative impacts that can be pretty pretty brutal mm-hmm. yeah so, so well man thanks for delving into this today uh, i know it's this is not easy stuff to talk about and uh i appreciate your kind of openness and honesty and willing to to delve into it i'm sure the listeners do too this is over and over been voiced as like the favorite kind of you know one one, one of the favorite aspects of of our show is when we when we do these things you know and we talk pretty open and raw about what's going on. Yep. So I guess with that, why don't you take us out then? Yeah. If you have a question for us, call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690, or you can email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot. It's used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us on iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.